0: From last week, we started looking at the fall, and really we just looked at at the first six or seven verses uh, about the temptation narrative and kind of how, uh, how Adam and Eve were drawn away from trusting God. And from from uh, from depending upon God to beginning to doubt God's character and who He is and, and, and then how the, the, the actual fall took place in the temptation narrative. And so we're going to pick up right there uh, where we left off this week and we're going to begin to look at kind of what happens afterwards. So what's the response of, of sin uh, in Adam and Eve? How do they respond to sin? And then the consequences of sin, hopefully we'll get to that as well uh, today. If not this morning, we will tonight. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to begin, I'm going to read a pretty big uh, passage of Scripture. I'm going to read verses 6 all the way to verse 19, so you follow along with me, okay? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me... Uh, to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly. You shall go and dust. You shall eat all the days of your life. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Father, we thank you for redemption. God, even in the midst of sin and of chaos and of shame and of guilt and hiding, uh, God, that you have a plan to redeem us from all of that. I thank you, Jesus, that um, you have crushed the serpent's head. Thank you, Jesus, that you've been victorious over sin and over the grave and over death. And Father, we, uh, we rejoice in you, our champion today. Father, I pray that you would uh, put it in our hearts, God, that we would respond to sin uh, in an appropriate way in a, uh, a redeeming way, in a way that brings about repentance and, and faith and forgiveness and restoration. God, forgive us when we hide. God, forgive us when we act like we haven't sinned, when we justify our sin or we blame other people for it. Uh, Father, we're, we're guilty of what we're about to see Adam and Eve did. And, and God, we don't want to live that way. God, we don't want to sin. Uh, God, we want you to to work in us uh, victory over sin. And we ask that you do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so chapters 1 and 2. Adam and Eve created in the image of God. You know what, the cool thing is that I've heard several of you this week begin to talk in, in language describing the image of God. I can't remember who it was, they were in my office and they, and they said, you know, they, they just brought up that they were created in the image of God. And that that's just a great concept to get a hold of, that, that God has made us in His likeness. And so chapters 1 and 2, that's what we saw, perfect world, uh, reflecting God's glory, man, uh, the special creation of God, created in the image and likeness of God to bear. His image on the earth. And so you've got Adam and Eve, the perfect marriage, a perfect world, perfect bodies... And in the midst of that, can you believe it? Adam and Eve say, "You know what? I think there might be something better." Is that not ridiculous, really, when, when you think about it? Uh, the, that, that they would they would have all of this and all of God, and 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 then say, "You know what? Maybe this maybe the snake is right. Maybe there's something better than God. Maybe there's something better than God's plan. Maybe there's something better than being dependent upon God. Maybe being separate from God, independent from God. Maybe making our own choices and following our own." Decisions, maybe that's better. And so they try that out. And everything we've seen since, as far as sin and chaos and destruction in the world, is because of that. So Adam and Eve sin. Uh, They sin against God. They they rebel against God. And so now the question this morning is, is simply this okay, now what? Okay, now what? Uh, they sinned. In verse verse 6, they ate, both ate of the fruit. They rebelled against God. And, and so so now what's going to happen? What What's going to be their response? A couple things here we're going to look at. What's going to be their response to sin? And what it, what is going to be the consequences of sin? Now those two questions are really intensely personal, not, not just from the standpoint of figuring out what happened in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, but really what happens with us, okay? Because we're going to deal every day of our lives with those two questions, okay? How am I going to respond to my own sin? And what, what, is, what are going to be the continuing consequences for sin. Okay, Those are intensely personal for everybody in this room because what the Bible says in Romans 3.23 is everybody's sin, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we should not be a people who are foolish enough to act like or to say that we haven't sinned. First John one eight says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. When we pretend like we're not sinners, when we pretend like this is not personal to us, we, we, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's a, it's a great question to think about this morning is what, do, what are we going to do with sin? How are we going to respond to our sin? Okay, not just Adam and Eve's sin, but, but how are we going to respond to our sin? And, and here's what I think. I think to a large degree, the success of your Christian life, and, and I think we can even broaden that out and say your life in general is going to be, how do you respond to your sin? Okay, what, 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 what happens in you when you realize, you know what, I've been prideful. And you know what I've been selfish? Or you know what, I, I've, I've been lustful. Or, you know what, I've, I've thought things that I shouldn't have thought about that person or about this situation. How do you respond when it kind of hits you? You know what, I've been greedy. You know what, I, I've used money in a way that wasn't pleasing to God. Or, you know what, I've made an idol of this thing in my life. Or, you know what, I've harbored unforgiveness or, or whatever sin. When that thing hits you, okay, when the realization of sin hits you, what do you do? What is your immediate response? Okay, And, and we're going to be talking about throughout this sermon, what, what's your... What's your continual response? That's important. But you know what? I I really think it's a good question to ask. What is your immediate response? Okay. What happens when you sin and how do you immediately respond to that sin? Let's look at what Adam and Eve did. In verse 6, we read of the sins. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a light to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. She gave some to her husband. And he ate with her. And the, the first thing that happens is the thing that the serpent told him would happen. Uh, he spinned it in a good direction, but it's really a really bad thing, actually. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed figs and leaf, fig leaves together, and they made themselves covering. So they, they make themselves loincloths. All right? So what happens here immediately is they have the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Remember, that's what the tree was called. If we go over to chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 22, later on, the Trinity is speaking, and and the Lord says, uh, verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So something happens in Adam and Eve when they sin. And what happens is they they gain the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Now, now that's not a bad thing in itself uh, because God has that. Okay, so we can't say, well, this this just, you know, it's all sin. Anybody that has the knowledge of good and evil, they're, they're a sinner. No, that's that's not true because God has the knowledge of good and evil. But you see, God understands what evil is without experiencing evil. Does that make sense? Uh, God knows intellectually, if, if we can put it that way. I'm not sure that's a good way to put it. But God, God knows intellectually what sin is. Okay, but mankind has now experienced evil. Okay, God knows what evil is. God, God acts independently. He's not depending on anybody. He makes his own decisions, and his decisions are always good. He knows there is evil, but he always acts in a holy way, okay? But now man has stepped out from underneath God. Man is not dependent upon God anymore. Man's not leaning on God. Man's not listening to God. Man is acting independently, and now he has experienced evil in himself, okay? Okay? Now he he knows evil in the sense that he has chosen evil and done evil and lived evil. And now all of a sudden man has what I, I don't believe that he had before. Man has a conscience. okay Now all of a sudden we see something happen in Adam and Eve. They, they, they're, they're experiencing shame and guilt and fear and, and hiding from God. All these things are happening. And why? It's because now they're being condemned. They have a knowledge of good and evil. They know they're evil. okay They know they chose evil. They have a conscience. Now, they, you have a conscience, right? You know, when you do something, man, this happened to this me. You know, the, the, this happened to this me. Uh, sometimes you just say things. I don't know what it meant even, you know. This happened to me this week, okay? Uh, I, just, I, I, I said something and, I, and there's this voice inside of me that says, you shouldn't have said that. And it was a troubling thing for me for about a day. Because it's one of those things where you can't really fix it, you know. You ever have those, you know, that you can't immediately go fix it because it's just kind of the situation. And so I have this condemning voice in my heart, you know, uh, about this thing that I said. And, and that's conscience, okay. It's, it's this realization of evil within us. It's this realization of sin within us. It's an accuser. It's a judge. It's a condemner. Not on the outside of us, but on the inside of us, Okay. Now, we don't always listen to our conscience, do we? In fact, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 4, 2, uh, it's kind of a scary verse. It talks about uh, people searing their conscience, okay? Uh, lying to themselves, lying to others to the degree that they, they, they sear their conscience. They kind of, they kind of, of, of callous it, you know, because they ignore their sin and they justify their sin. and They do wrong things with their sin so much that, that the voice of their conscience gets dull in their heart, Okay. But but Adam and Eve, they have this now. They have this knowledge of good and evil. And they, they know that, that they're sinners. They know that they've sinned against God. They've rebelled against God. There's shame. There's guilt. They're, they're covering themselves. They feel ashamed of who they are. They're, 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 the relationship between the two of them is now different, you know. There's this fear. There's this unacceptance. All this stuff's happening. Their conscience doesn't lead them to God. Okay, that's, that's one of the things we have to understand about, about conscience. Is conscience is not the answer, okay. Just because you feel bad about your sin, that doesn't mean that you, you've got victory over your sin. Your sin is forgiven. It just means... Your, your conscience is telling you you're, you're a sinner. You're, you did evil. You did wrong. okay The Holy Spirit is the only one that can actually do something about that in us. And so Adam and Eve feel this, this evil within them. And for the first time, here, here's a significant thing that happens. For the first time in, in Adam and Eve's life, they don't want to be around God. You notice that? Look, look in verse... Uh, 10, okay, when, when God confronts him, he says, and he says I, uh, Adam responds, he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. So God's coming to fellowship with them. And he says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What is Adam saying? Adam's saying, I don't want to be around you, okay? Have you ever noticed in your own life that when you're living in sin, you really don't want to be around God? Okay, that doesn't mean you don't want to be at church because you can be in church and not really around God. Does that make sense? You can check out, you can be here just for whatever reason to put a gold star on your chart or whatever. But, but you don't want to be in fellowship with God. You really don't want to get real with God. You, you don't want to be around God. He hears God's voice and his response is to hide from God. Okay. His response is to separate from God because he knows he is separate from God. There's a fear in him now of God that wasn't there before. Not not the awe kind of fear of God where, God, you're awesome and I don't want to trifle with you and I want to please you. Now there's this fear inside him that says, you know what? I, I don't want God to know who I am. I don't, I don't want him to see this thing. I'm going to distance myself from God. You see, before the fall, Adam and Eve were always dependent upon God. But now they're acting independently from God and they're trying to get away from God. And so they try to hide themselves. You know, that, that, that seems like a really silly thing to do, doesn't it? You know, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a silly thing to try to hide from God. He, he doesn't want, he, they don't want to be with God. They don't want to face God. They don't, they don't want to talk with God. They don't want to commune with God. And I think people still try to do that today, don't we? A little different way because we're not in the Garden of Eden, obviously, and God doesn't come down kind of in a physical presence to walk with us. But, man, I think people try to hide from God. Uh, sometimes we do it with kind of some good works. You know, we kind of put our good works out there. This is who I am. This is why I'm good. You know, but I don't really want to get real with God. I don't really want to be introspective about my own life and about my own sin and about where I'm really at with God. I I just want to put up a face of religion and good works and, and, and not really give an account for what's happened in my life. We don't, want to, we don't want to be around God. You know what Psalm says? Uh, Psalm Psalm 139, I like this. It talks about how silly it is to try to hide from God. Verse 7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light, about me shall be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The psalmist is saying, look, I can't get anywhere that's away from God, truly away from God. I can try to hide from him. I'm trying to put some things up to to cover myself, so cover my sin up and and act like it's okay, but I cannot ultimately get away from God. So Adam and Eve, their first response, and and notice we're going to talk about this more in a minute. What's your first response? Their first response, when, when their conscience condemns them, is try to get away from God. Try to cover up their sin, cover themselves, and hide from God. Stay away from God. Well, verse 9, God comes after them, okay? That's the character of God. You know, aren't you glad that's the character of God? If that were not the character of God, we would all perish in hell, folks, because we would not go after God. Romans chapter 3 says, No one has sought God. No, not one. We... In our sinful nature, we don't, we don't run after God. We don't sin. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. That's why it's so amazing whenever someone turns around their life and begins to go toward God because we know the Spirit of God's at work. Because by nature, by our sinful nature, we don't want to be around God because we're sinners. So God comes after them. Verse 9 But the Lord God called to the man. So that here you got the voice of God, you got the word of God coming back after the man. And, and here's the question. Where are you? That's a great question, isn't it? Verse nine, verse nine. But the Lord God called the man, and He said to him, "Where are you?" Now, now, please understand. This is not this is not for God's benefit. Okay. God is omniscient; He knows all things. God is omnipresent; He is everywhere. Okay, so this is not a situation where God turned around and He's lost them. You know, where'd they go? Boy, are, are they behind the bush? Are they? Uh, this, God, this is not for God. Okay, this, this, this is for Adam and Eve's benefit. You know, it's, it's similar to if I if I walk into the girl's bedroom, the little girl's bedroom, and and there's Haven, you know, drawing a mural on the wall, and I and I say, Haven, what are you doing? Okay. Now, what is that question about? That question is not about, hey honey, explain to me your picture. Okay? That's not what I'm wanting. I'm not wanting some information for her that's going to make this all make sense for me. Okay? I understand clearly what's happening. What, why do I ask her, what are you doing? I ask her, what are you doing? Because I want her to own what she's doing. I want her to think about, what am I doing? Am I supposed to be doing this? Okay? So the question is for her benefit and not for my benefit. And so when God says, where are you? The question is for Adam's benefit, okay? He's calling on Adam to give an account for why he is where he is. And you know the the implied thing there? The implied in this question, where are you? You're not with me. Do you see that? I mean, mean, God comes down to fellowship with Adam and and Adam's hiding. And and, and really the, the implied question there is, look, Adam, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not with me. Where are you, okay? You're not close to God. Why are you not close to God? Man, it's a great question for us to ask every day. Where are you? Right now, answer that question for yourself. Where are you? Not, now, don't answer, oh, I'm, at, I'm at 1620 Lincoln Avenue, you know, in the sanctuary or in the, in the auditorium. Um, I'm listening to a sermon. That, that's not the answer to that question. But where are you in your relationship with God? Are you far from God? Are you close to God? Are you where you're supposed to be with God? Where are you? Again, notice what Adam does initially first, okay? I think this is really quick. Cool. You're going to hear me talk about what do you do first? What's your first response? You're going to hear that a lot, okay? Because I think that's really important for us. What does Adam do? Well, he he hides. He covers himself. He doesn't want to be around God. Finally, when he's pinned down and and he's having a conversation with God, again, what does he do? He does not seek the mercy of the Lord. He does not turn to God in contrition. He does not repent. He does not confess his sin. None of that stuff's happening yet okay and we'll talk about that more later, but do you see that none of that's happening yet Adam and Eve didn't sin their conscience condemned them immediately realized they're far from God and their first response isn't oh God we need you man we need Lord please you got to do you got to help us we need your mercy we're going to fall down we 've sinned against you God here's what we did and we know you that's not their response. They're still not to that point. Okay? Their first response is hide, pretend, cover. And now when they're finally pinned down with their sin, they go to blame. Okay? Man, blaming is deeply rooted in us, isn't it? You know, my, my, my two oldest girls, both of them had, a, had kind of a scapegoat in their life. They both had people when they were toddlers that they would blame for everything that went wrong in their life. Uh, for Hannah, it was her imaginary friend, Bita. Uh, she still has Beta, by the way. I think, don't you talk? No, no. Okay, that, that's that, that's gone now, evidently. But Beta was. Uh... I don't know who Beta was, actually. Beta was the person that she blamed everything on. She was, she was like one, two years old, you know. Who did that? Beta did it, you know. Addie it was not an imaginary person. It was, uh, it was Leroy Evans. I don't know if you know Leroy. Uh, but, and she didn't call him Leroy. She called him Larry Boy. Uh, that's how it sounded to us anyway. Uh, but everything, you know, we'd be at home. You know, who did that? Larry Boy. Larry Boy did it, yeah. yeah said, Larry Boy did that, you know. Anything that happened in the nursery, anybody that got in trouble, it was, it was Leroy's fault, okay. And, and, and so that, that's, kind of, that's kind of deep within us, isn't it? that this this intent uh, this this uh, habit of blaming other people uh, for our sin and what what is that that's simply this not taking responsibility for your own sin A- adam adam blames he adam shifts the responsibility away from himself and and first of all to his wife okay um he says in verse 11, he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, The woman, okay, this is his first response to God. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit, the fruit of the tree, and I ate. He didn't say, man, I really messed up, God. Man, I didn't trust you, and for a moment I doubted your character, and I doubted who you were, and I thought that this, you know, I was going to take it. None of that comes out of his mouth. What, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, the, the woman that you gave me, okay? Uh, he he's shifting responsibility away from himself. Folks, blame is a sinful way to respond to sin. When you blame, you're basically saying, I haven't sinned. Or, or you might be saying, I couldn't help my sin. You see, a lot of times it's not, I haven't sinned. A lot of times it's okay, I have, but but I couldn't help it. Or here's the circumstance that, that makes my sin not as bad, you know. Or here, here's the thing that, that, that you need to know that, that, that pushed me to it. You know, God, I was pushed. God, I was, uh, I was deceived. God, you know, it, it's shifting responsibility away. And, and the interesting thing is, if, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know, we, we talked a lot about Adam's responsibility for his family. You know, God, God makes him first. God makes Eve as the helpmate. God gives him the commands. God makes him the, the leader of his family. And, and, and as soon as the first thing that goes wrong, he, he's shifting responsibility. He's not taking responsibility. Folks, when you blame, you don't acknowledge your own guilt. Uh, you shift responsibility. But, but here's the worst thing. You ultimately hinder repentance and restoration in your life. As long as you blame your anger on the frustrating people in your life, you're not going to get victory over your anger. Does that make sense? I mean, some people this is just their 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 habit. I mean, it just it's a perpetual thing in their life. You know, they they can't get free of their sin and they can't get victory, and it just keeps hammering them day after day after day. They have this habitual sin in their life. This this thing that keeps keeps knocking them down in their spiritual life. And one of the reasons is that their first response whenever they sin is to shift responsibility away from their self. As long as you blame your unforgiveness on the harsh things that were done to you, man, you're going to be imprisoned by it. Here's what happens all the time. As long as you blame your lack of spiritual discipline, okay? Did you read your Bible this week? What's your first response to that? you spend time in prayer this week? Did you lead your family in prayer this week? Jeff, you have family devotions? What's your first response? You, you, you know, you, fleshly, you know what our first response often is? Well, we, you know, we had 92 football games this week, though. You know, and we had 33 soccer games. And we had, you know, I, my, my, my boss made me work 193 hours. And, you know, I mean, our first response is to magnify the busyness in our life, right? Why? Why is that our first response? Why is our first response to try to stretch as far as we can and and prove how incredibly busy we were? Does that really have anything to do with you not spending time with God? Is that the issue? That's really not the issue, is it? You see, what we're doing is we're just shifting blame. We're we're responding in a way that does not help our situation. Our our first response to I've not spent time with God should be, man, that's sin. Man, why is my heart broken that way? I don't want it to be that way. I don't want God to be third place, fifth place, seventh place on my plate. I don't want that. That that should be the first response. And you know what? When you get in the habit of blaming, you know where that ultimately leads? I mean, other people are good. You know, you can always shoot at them, okay? But you know where it ultimately lands? It ultimately lands on God. Isn't that that what Adam did? Look look at uh, verse 12 again. The man said, the woman, okay, he's blaming it on the woman. It's Eve's fault, okay? But then he, he goes ahead and, and gets somebody else in it too, whom you gave to be with me. Who's who's the blame ultimately land on? Man, God, everything was great here until this woman came, you know? I mean, I was doing fine, you know, until her, and then, you know, her beauty it was just got all dazzling, and I couldn't see, you know, the lights were in my eyes, and she gave me the fruit, and I wasn't sure what it was, and, you know, I, I wanted to please her. I'm trying to make her happy. You know, God, it's. It's your fault. You, you're you the one that gave her to me. I think we do that. You know, people, people blame their sin on their trials sometimes. Who gave you your trials? Or uh, who allowed your trials? Okay? My pain, my situation, my hardship made me sin. Didn't God allow those things? I'm not strong enough. I've heard people say that. Implying that God has allowed something in their life that... It's too difficult for him. You know, whether you say it or not, ultimately, sometimes the blame just gets put right on God. God, I've sinned, but you know what, God? You shouldn't let that in my life. You shouldn't make my life so hard. It's too difficult. You know, ultimately, you can't, you can't, you can't blame me for this. I'm going to blame you for this. You know what Adam's doing? Adam's doing something I hate when I see it in myself. <laughs> I've told you before, I hate self-pity. Self-pity, I think, is the worst sin of all. You know, it's just, it's just humiliating to be that way. Adam's doing that. Adam's playing the victim card here. Okay. Adam's playing the victim. The woman that you gave me. Okay. I'm a victim here, God. I, I've sinned, but you know what? It's not my fault. It's, it's, it's her fault. It's your fault. I'm the victim here. That's a horrible habit. If you're one of those people that anytime you get, something gets pinned on you, your, your immediate response is to throw yourself onto the ground and be wounded. Okay. That's not a healthy thing for your spiritual life. Uh, you know, sometimes when, when we're teenagers, um, and I, I, let me talk about me as a teenager. I mean, I had this thing perfected to a, a fine art, you know. Anytime anything would zero in on me, you know, down to the ground I went. You know, Aha! You know you've know, wounded me. Uh, this is wounded. Life's too hard. Our school's terrible. You know, wh- whatever. It was some, somebody else's fault. You know, it's, it's not me that's wrong. It's, it's everything else. Adam thinks he's the victim of God's unwise gifting. I think I've shared an illustration before this one's one that sticks in my mind. I probably told you this story before, but it was, uh, I was a teenager and some of my, 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 uh, church family, my parents, church family, uh, saw me in a place that I shouldn't have been. And my mom, they told my mom and my mom confronted me on it. And immediately I threw myself to the ground. I didn't really, but you know, metaphorically, I threw myself to the ground and I started to just. Talking about what a horrible church it was. You know, that these people would accuse me and that they would uh they would they would, you know, malign my character this way, and how do they know it was really me? How do they know it was really my car? And you know, I mean I just I just just victimed it all up. You know what? My mom, my mom let me off for that. I can't believe to this day that, that she did. I, she didn't know me well at that time, evidently, but uh she let me I mean she backed up, okay, and all I was doing I was guilty. I really was there, you know, but, but that had become the habit of my life was to shift blame somewhere else. And you know what? As long as I was doing that, I was stuck in my sin. Here's the thing. Grab this truth and just make it your own. Okay. There is never extenuating circumstances that make it okay to sin. Amen. Never, never. OK, you see, we want to always have an exception to that. Well, but but, you know, it's better because here's the situation, you know, and well, we know that this is wrong. But but, you know, here's where we're stuck and we got this situation and we have this circumstance. I know I shouldn't be bitter, but you know what they did to me and you know how this still affects me to this day. And you know what I'm going through and I, I know I shouldn't be unforgiving. But, you know, there, there, there is no but there is no extenuating circumstances that make it OK to sin. There are no pressures. There are no situations. There's no actions from other people that make you not trusting God and you not loving God okay. There just isn't, okay? There's no time when you rebel against the Word of God and you trust that something else is better than God and God says, well, that really wasn't your fault, okay? That never happens. It never will happen. You know, God's never going to say, well, you know, I know that was sin, but man, that irritating person, if I'd have been there, I'd have done that too. God's never going to say that. Never. He's never going to say, well, you were sick, so it's or you were tired. or You know what? Your spouse isn't very giving, so okay, I'll give you that one. Or you know what? I know you were kind of depressed. It, it's never okay. Now, I know there are hard things in life. I'm not, I'm not trying to say there's not hard things in life. I'm not saying you haven't dealt with hard things. I know you have. I have. We have. It's true. But that never makes it okay to sin. It's never the right thing. It's never the best thing. And folks, what we got to do is we've really got to work hard on our first response, okay? Our first response is crucial. It's crucial. What you do initially, what you do when you're first confronted with your sin okay now I know a lot of you would say well I do this initially but you know I come around you know after after a day or so I kind of you know I pray about it and I realize and I come back and I try to fix it that's great that's great but you know what would be even better (laughs) you know be even better is if we we trained ourselves to just say you know what is there's never an excuse for sin sin is always bad sin always has horrific consequences in my life and in the lives of other people sin is an offense against a holy God who loves me and cares for me and it's never Ever right and whenever we're confronted with our sin our first response ought to be repentance and confession and contrition and remorse and seeking the mercy of god that ought to be our first response not blaming okay not not and there's other things too let's talk about some other other sinful responses to sin how about when we pretend it's no big deal You know, and and, and you know what? A lot of people pretend their sin is no big deal because everybody's doing it. It's almost like if a sin is common, that that makes it better. You know, if you, if you can, if you can prove that 20 other people in your church do the same thing that may, that doesn't change anything. Okay. Everybody's a sinner. And you know what? Without Christ, everybody's going to hell. That doesn't make it okay. You know, we shouldn't be like, well, there's gonna be a whole lot of people in hell. So it must be an okay place. You know, that makes make it, that doesn't make it any better. Okay. There, there, there's families falling apart all over our nation. That doesn't make it better for your family to fall apart. Okay, The commonness of sin does not excuse sin. If anything, it's, it's just worse because it's, it's more rampant. There's more people dishonoring Jesus. We shouldn't justify our sin by, by bringing up our unique situation. We, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't hide what we view as our little sin behind somebody else's big sin. And that's what a lot of people do. If not in their mind, sometimes out loud. You know, it's like, okay, I've been caught. You know, the spotlight's on me. I said what I shouldn't have said. I was selfish or whatever. And so sometimes what we want to do is we want to find somebody else who, in our mind, has a bigger sin. We put them in front of us, you know. So it's like we hide our little sin behind their big sin, okay. Folks, that, that, that doesn't make it better. That doesn't excuse your sin. Sometimes we appeal to our motives. Well, I know I said that. But my heart is really this. Or I know I did that. How many times have you heard people say, well, but my heart is good. You know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said, whatever comes out of your mouth and out of your life comes from your heart. Okay? You know, you can't say my, my actions are bad. My words are bad. But my heart is good. Jesus says, no. You know how we know what's in your heart? By what's coming out of your life. And, and so don't try to appeal to the, the, you know, even though what this looks bad on the outside, what's on the inside is really good. No. If it looks bad on the outside, that's evidence that what's on the inside is even worse. We shouldn't have what, what Paul calls a worldly grief. In Second in Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, there, there's a kind of, of being sad about your sin and being remorseful. It's not about you saying, man, I have, I have offended a holy God. It's saying, man, I got caught and now there's going to be these consequences and now these people think this of me. Okay, that's a worldly kind of grief. It's just, it's just. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I have these consequences. Uh, I'm upset about, about the hurtful things in my life that come from my sin. But I'm not really upset about my sin. Okay, that's a sinful response to sin. Admitting or confessing without repenting. I had a guy in my life that for years, I mean, this was his block for me. Every time I'd come in with the gospel, he, he'd hold up his, his shield. And his shield was this. I confess my sins every night, you know. You know what I mean by that? I I, I admit that I do them. Okay? That's no big feat. Okay? God already knows that you do them. There's no merit in that. In fact, that's almost worse that you you admit that you do those things every day, but you don't really repent of them. You're not turning away from them. You're not turning to the grace of God. You're not turning to the power. you're, You're just admitting, hey, yeah, I did it. Okay? That doesn't make it better. Our first response to our sin... Should be confession and repentance and renewing our dependence on God. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anything other than that only prolongs your time in sin. Okay? So, You get confronted with your pride. You get confronted with your anger. You get confronted with with something you said that you you shouldn't have said. You you lost it on the soccer field. You lost it with your family. Whatever. Uh, You had thoughts you shouldn't have had. You were greedy. You spent money you shouldn't have spent. uh, Whatever. Whatever. Your first response should be to get things right with God. To admit that fully to God. Go to Him in prayer. God, I sinned. What I just did, I know the Lord was wrong. My conscience condemns me. And God, I know it's wrong. And I'm not going to try to justify it. I'm not going to blame it on anybody. I'm not going to bring up my circumstances. God, I sin. And I don't want to sin. And I don't want to stay in my sin. And I realize what sin does. And I don't want to be there. You know what Proverbs says? Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain Mercy. Now, real quickly, let, let's talk about the consequences of sin in Adam and Eve's life. So that's how they responded. Okay, they did, they didn't they didn't do it right. Okay, they didn't they didn't they did not do what they should have done in responding to their sin. What we should do when we respond to our sin. So, what what are the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin in their life? Let, let's go through real quickly. Uh, let's let's look at the woman first. Verse sixteen says to the woman, "I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing." In pain, you shall bring forth children. Uh, let's stop right there. So the first thing that happens with a woman is one of the most significant things in her life. All of a sudden, gets much more painful and much more difficult. You know, I used to think that it was just talking about bearing children, which obviously uh, that is a painful thing. I've not experienced it, but I have watched it, you know, five times. It is painful. It must seem to be in, in great discomfort. Uh, that, that's true, right? Having children is a painful thing. Raising kids, I think, is almost more painful, isn't it? And I know that doesn't say that, but but I think implied in that, childbearing, you know, uh, I think there is pain in actually bearing the child, but in raising the child and bringing forth children, I think now there's pain. And man, in chapter four, are we ever going to see that? You know, I wonder what hurt worse for Eve, the actual bearing of Cain and Abel or having her son kill her other son. You know, Uh, I you decide which is worse there. I think the latter is worse. And so all of a sudden, this most significant thing in Eve's life of being able to bring forth life and to be a mother, all of a sudden became infinitely more painful because of sin. Not only that, but, but, but a relationship with her husband, this thing that was supposed to, uh, to reflect this one flesh union and be this, this, this incredible thing, reflecting the Trinity in her life. Look at the end of verse 16. It says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, us guys, we would love to think that that desire means that the, 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 the ladies in our life just can't get enough of us, and they, they just desire more and more of us, and they have this, you know, this, oh, honey, I just want to be by you, and I just want to gaze in your eyes. I really don't think that's what that means. Because in chapter 4, verse 7, look at it in your Bibles, we get this exact same phrase, okay, used in a very different way. In verse 7, God is talking to Cain, and he says, If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's a picture of, of sin just ready to pounce on Cain. And he says this to Cain, its desire is for you. Exact same word, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Exact same phrase, okay? So two phrases that are used over in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 are used there in verse 7 for sin. So what does that mean? Well, let's, let's cover the Cain, and, Abel, or the Cain and, and, and sin thing. What does it mean? It means sin wants to control Cain. Right? It's crouching. It's ready to pounce. It wants to control him. It wants to master him. But God tells Cain, you've got to rule over sin. You, you've, you've got to, you've got to master it. You've got to rule over it. Okay. So take that definition back over into verse 16. What's it saying? It's saying, all right, Eve, now all of a sudden your desire is going to be for your husband in the sense of your desire to control him, your desire to run the family, your desire not to be submissive, but to manage your husband. Okay. You're going to want to rule him. You're going to be, want to be independent of him. You're going to want to not submit to him, but you're going to want to manage this guy. But he, according to God's plan. Is supposed to take the leadership and initiative in the family. So Now all of a sudden this thing that was to be this beautiful picture of Trinity. The way that Jesus submits to God the Father. Now all of a sudden couples don't say you don't know it. Now all of a sudden there's this right in the marriage relationship. All of a sudden there's this friction. All of a sudden there's this battle going on in the marriage. And it's hard. And it's difficult. The way he says to Adam. Verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Man, the ground gets cursed because of Adam. Okay? Now all of a sudden, it's, it's not going to bear what it should bear. Now all of a sudden, everything in Adam's life, the, his provision and providing for his family, it's going to be hard now. The ground is cursed in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. All of a sudden, Adam's work is cursed now. It's frustrating. It's hard. It's monotonous. It's difficult. There's problems. Okay? And look at verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat of it, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. Into dust you shall return. What's that mean? He's going to die. There's the biggie, isn't it? Death. What's the consequence of sin? What's the consequence of saying, God, we don't want to be dependent under your reign. We want to be independent. We're going to, we're going to look at this tree in a different way than you told us to look at it. We're going to decide for ourselves whether we're going to whether we're going to eat it. We're going to be our own boss. We're going to be our own god. What's the result of that? They're going to die, and you're going to die, physically at least, unless you're connected to Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 15. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. John, if I'm pronouncing it wrong, you jump up here. And... Proto-Evangelion? Is that that? It doesn't matter, does it? That's what it's called, verse 15. If you look in your Bibles, chapter 3, verse 15. What that means is it's the first gospel. Okay? So, here, here we are. We're, we're, we're ready to, to read the gospel for the very first time in, in, in the Bible. Okay? Verse 15 He's talking to the serpent. God's talking to the serpent. He says, I'm going to put enmity, okay? I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, okay? And then, then here comes Jesus. First time Jesus is described in the Bible. It's not his name, but listen to what it says. He, that's the offspring of the woman, okay? Remember, all the way down, Virgin Mary brings forth Jesus. You back up the line all the way to Eve, okay? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice you, you, Satan. Okay? So what happens on the cross? Well, Satan inflicts a blow upon Jesus, doesn't he? But it's it's not a fatal blow. It's not an ultimate blow. He bruises his heel. Okay? Jesus Christ suffers on the cross. He's crucified. He's tortured for your sins, for Adam and Eve's sin. Right there. For the first sin and for every sin afterward of his people. Okay? Satan bruises Jesus' heel. He inflicts a blow upon him, but it's not fatal. Why? Because on the third day, what happens? Jesus rises from the dead. What does Jesus do to Satan, though? He shall bruise your head. Okay? Now, obviously, you can do just about whatever you want to my heel. And I'm still going to be okay. All right? It's going to to bruise. It's going to hurt. It's going to damage. All right? You crush my head, I'm in trouble. Okay? It's a fatal blow, right? There's the first gospel. You see, already, in the midst of Adam and Eve's fall, God's already enacted a plan to bring them back to himself. You're a sinner, just like Adam and Eve. You've done just what they've done. You say, God, I don't, I don't want to be dependent upon you. I'm, I want to live independent from you. God, I know this is what your Bible says. I know this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to do something else. I know this is what the, what the Bible says about this, but I'm going to live this way. And because of that, all of this stuff we just talked about has come upon your life. And ultimately, it will end in death. Ultimately, it will end in being independent and separate from God forever. You see, that's what Adam and Eve were saying, wasn't it? God, I, I don't want to be with you. I want to be away from you. Okay? That's what sin is. And sin ends in being away from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. But God's enacted a plan. God has set in motion a plan through Jesus Christ where Jesus crushes the devil, sin, and death. Through his work on the cross. And that can be for you. That can be for you if you will turn away from your sin. And you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for showing mercy upon us. God, I, I know, God, we know that you, you could have just enacted justice and, uh, and mankind could have ended right there. But Father, you've been merciful and you've been gracious and you've sent your only Son to die on a cross for us, to redeem us from our, from our sin. And Father, I pray that today we might respond to sin, not by blaming, not by hiding, not by justifying, but God, by being truthful about our own sin and and just clinging to Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, we, we need You to take away our sins, Jesus. We need the cross of Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. And Lord, we come to You for that. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.